Our first reading is from Isaiah 60, and you'll find it printed in the back of your bulletin announcements, if you'd like to follow along. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning, that we might have an aha this day. Amen. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Holy One will arise upon you and glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and sovereigns to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They shall gather, they shall come to you. Your sons shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you want to follow along, it also is printed in the insert in your bulletins. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, 
and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My father used to live in Modesto, and the last few times I drove to see him in December, there was a giant sign up on a hill above 580 before you reach Dublin. The sign said, Jesus is the reason for the season. It was really huge, and I think was probably lit up at night. I understand the impulse behind this sign. A recent Pew Research Center poll revealed that while nine out of 10 millennials say they celebrate Christmas, more of them think of it as a cultural holiday rather than a religious holiday. Now really, I don't begrudge anyone a holiday as wonderful as Christmas. And I bet if you were here in church on Christmas Eve, here at 7th Avenue, or maybe worshiping somewhere else, you saw plenty of folks who still want to keep the Christ in Christmas, including folks you rarely see. I always wonder about those folks, the folks who only show up on Christmas Eve. I wonder if they are looking for some kind of sign. Tomorrow, as Jeff mentioned, is the Feast of the Epiphany, the 12th day of Christmas, December 25th being the first day of Christmas. The word epiphany means manifestation or revealing, and it's used to describe any experience of a, of a sudden and striking realization, an aha. In other words, it's about reading the signs. The gospel story for Epiphany is the story of the Magi who follow a star and discover the child born to be a different kind of king. This is part of Matthew's Christmas story. The angels and shepherds and no room at the inn can only be found in Luke's gospel. Matthew's version is complicated, more human, more grown up, and certainly darker. In chapter 1, Matthew tells about Joseph's moral dilemma when he learns that Mary is expecting a child that he knows isn't his. An angel tells Joseph not to be afraid, and when the baby is born, it's Joseph who names him Jesus. And then here in chapter 2, Matthew tells us about the Magi, astrologers from the East. Even though most Christmas pageants put the Magi right beside the manger along with Luke's shepherds, Matthew tells us they visit the Holy Family in a house. Now one figure from Matthew's version that you won't see in most pageants is King Herod. The Magi are looking for the new king of the Jews, and Herod, of course, is the real live king of the Jews. Only sort of. He's a king in name only. He, it's really the Romans who are calling the shots. But Herod has the title and the privilege, and he doesn't want to lose them. He figures he'll use these magi 
as spies to lead him to this new threat to his kingship. The Magi catch on, however, and return to their own country without stopping to tell Herod where Jesus is. Matthew shows us two very different reactions to an epiphany, to God's revealing something new. The Magi, foreigners from a different religious tradition, are overwhelmed with joy when they find Jesus. They give him their gifts, even though they have to be surprised, shocked even, at finding this infant king born to peasant parents among occupied people. Herod, on the other hand, is threatened to the core. If we keep reading the verses beyond today's passage, we learn that Herod decides to eliminate any possible threat by sending his soldiers out to kill every boy under the age of two in and around Bethlehem. Joseph is warmed in a dream to flee with his wife and his child to Egypt, and so Jesus is spared. And aren't you glad that we skip this bit in the Christmas pageant? Matthew's Christmas story is indeed complicated and grown up, and we read it at Epiphany to celebrate that God continues to be revealed in unpredictable ways to unpredictable people. The chief priests and scribes that Herod consulted knew how to read Isaiah, but it took outsiders from Persia, present-day Iran, to see the new thing that God was doing in the world. Notice that the passage doesn't tell us that these magi converted from their own religious tradition. Perhaps instead their epiphany was to embrace something beyond country, beyond tribe or creed or doctrine or denomination, something that really is good news of great joy for all people, as Luke's angels sang to the shepherds. Herod, on the other hand, was so fixated on his own power, on maintaining the status quo of his privilege, that he completely missed the signs. He missed what God shows us with a vulnerable infant king, that the most powerful answer to evil is tender, fearless openness to love. The most powerful answer to evil is tender, fearless openness to love. Part of the reason Matthew's Christmas story feels so grown up and complicated right now is, of course, that our country is struggling with immigrants and with people of other religions and with what it means to share privilege and use power. This passage doesn't just prescribe immigration law or favor, favor liberal or conservative ideologies, but it does affirm that God is present in other faith traditions. And it affirms that forced immigration, leaving your country because you fear for your safety in the same way the Holy Family fled from Judea to Egypt, can also be a part of the way God speaks to us. Even with these grown-up and complicated connections to our current world situation, my heart and mind keep coming back to the people who show up on Christmas Eve. 
The church in San Anselmo, from which I recently retired, had two very different Christmas Eve services. About the only thing they had in common was that they were full of unfamiliar faces. The late service was awash with joy and mystery, and when we sang Silent Night by Candlelight, it always brought tears to my eyes. On the other hand, the early service with our Christmas pageant was pandemonium. There was a constant buzz of children's voices punctuated by an occasional squall. You could count on several of the younger angels to try to make off with the baby Jesus. The shepherds always needed shepherds as much as the sheep did. The whole event was as messy and as unpredictable and as filled with wonder as a birth in a stable. Year after year, I wondered about the crowds of people who came on Christmas Eve. What do they hope to experience? What do they, are they looking for something? Are they looking for a sign? A sign perhaps more poignant or more personal than the one on the hillside off 580. Are they looking for a sign that God is at work here and now in their lives, in everyone's life? in our world, even now in 2020? And did they see it? 10 or so years ago at the pageant service in San Anselmo, the Holy Family came traipsing up to the chancel as usual, trying not to trip over their two big robes uh, while balancing the baby doll that always plays the part of the baby Jesus. That year, a little girl in pink striped leggings and a bat cape and a bat hood followed them up to the bottom of the chancel steps. Mary and Joseph found their marks by the manger, and the bat girl stayed in the aisle at the bottom of the steps, transfixed for the rest of the pageant. She didn't appear to be part of the pageant. I have a daughter whose fascination with dress-up led her to become a costume designer, so I understand bat capes at church. The girl stood there in front of the steps, caught up in watching the story come to life before her eyes. She wasn't much more than three, so at the time, I suspected she wouldn't remember much about the service. And I remember thinking that I hoped someday someone would remind her that she was a part of it, that she was a part of the wonder and the beauty, whether or not she was officially a member of the pageant cast. I hoped it would be some kind of sign for her. We don't always get to see the fruit of these epiphanies, but that time we did. A year or two ago, that bat girl, who by the, that time was 14 years old, wrote most of our new Christmas pageant script. It was a script full of contemporary language and teenage humor, and for me, that is a sign. That is an epiphany. God revealed something about how God works, not overnight, but over years, and through community, through tradition, but also through people who say yes, yes to new ideas, yes to new perspectives, yes to new voices and new life. I'm deeply grateful for this epiphany, and I will always hope that Christmas Eve worshipers in all our churches see a sign of God's presence. But if it tells us anything, the story of the Magi tells us 
that God doesn't reach people only through traditional means, only through the church. A man named Greg Satterley writes, the Magi did not come looking for the Christ through preaching, liturgy, sacrament, a welcoming congregation, or a vital social ministry, things I hold dear. The Magi came seeking the Christ after studying the night skies. As someone who holds on to favorite, cherished ways that God works to proclaim the gospel and bring people to faith, it is always wondrously frightening to realize anew that God's own work of embracing all people is more mystery than formula, because God's ways are always bigger than my understanding. It seems that God does whatever it takes to reach out and embrace all people. So what does that mean for the church? Well, we always have a choice of how to respond when God shows us something new. We can respond like the Magi, celebrating with joy and offering our gifts. Or we can respond like Herod, clutching the status quo and doing everything to remain in power. The question the church faces in 2020 in a culture increasingly suspicious of religion is, can we embrace the mystery or do we demand control? Epiphany isn't just in the past. It is here. It is now. God continues to reveal God's life in our hearts and calls us, the church, not only to watch for the signs, but to be the signs to live our faith openly enough that others will see that Christ has made a difference in us. This past Christmas Eve, for the first time in 22 years, I sat in the pew. The church where I worshipped was packed with strangers, and I know this because at the end of the service, just before the benediction, the pastor, my dear friend Paul Mowry, said, I have just one announcement. Easter is April 12th. <laughs> Then, with good humor, he affirmed his gracious welcome to all those who worship at that church, either occasionally or regularly. He was a sign for them, a sign of welcome and of acceptance and love. That is the gift that 7th Avenue has been offering this neighborhood and this city since long before I was a seminary intern here in the mid-90s. As your website puts it, whoever you are, Whatever your past, wherever your faith journey has taken you, there is a place for you here. What a precious gift. What a holy gift. It was indeed a gift to me, and I thank you as the church members, and I thank Jeff. And it's not only a gift, but it's an opportunity for an epiphany. God is at work through you so that those who think church is entirely something else than it is here might have their eyes opened, might feel welcomed, and might feel loved. My prayer for 7th Avenue in 2020 is that in the midst of the changes that you face, you will continue to offer this gift with joy and continue to help people encounter a loving God who is present with all of us every moment of life. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.